electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Pete Najarian, Karen Feinerman, David Seberg, and Brian Kelly. Tonight on Fast, funding secured or not? Tesla CEO Elon Musk attempting to clarify his out-of-the-blue tweet from last week, but it still left Wall Street scratching its collective heads. We'll explain. Plus, it's retail's moment of truth as the biggest names in the space get ready to report earnings this week. But the chartmaster says the rally could be coming to a screeching halt. But first, we start off with more pain and no gain. Stocks attempting to rally today shake off the global drama over the weekend. As a crisis in Turkey adds fuel to the fire, global stocks have been under pressure. And now the U.S. looks to be taking a turn, maybe for the worse. The Dow ending its fourth day in a row lower, now down more than 400 points. So, okay, maybe it's not the end of the world. But are we witnessing the beginning of the end? of this rally, Pete. Well, one of the things we talked about last week and even a little bit the week before was talking about the idea that, you know, the market, what, what, what are the catalysts right now other than more negative catalysts? Because we've gotten so far through the S&P 500. Last year, week, we actually, on Monday and then on Friday, it was all about the tur Turkish lira. And everybody was so concerned and obviously down 50% now year to date. That's a good reason to be a bit concerned about that particular thing. But where are the catalysts right now that are the positives? And, and also, when you're looking at the 10-year right now and the fact that it's pulled way back from that 3% level and you look at the financials struggling, then you look at energy, you look at oil pulling back, energy starting to struggle a little bit. It's hard to find the leadership role that we need right now. I'm not negative. I think there's going to be created opportunities. But I can understand why we're pulling back right now. Still, I think there's opportunities. We'll find them. But I, I think today... There was far more selling pressure than we've seen in a while. Even though we were only down 125 points, a lot of pressure, and you could see that volatility finally had a huge spike. Do you have to believe in contagion in order to believe that this rally could be coming to an end? Or is it enough for the dollar to spike? Yeah. Is it, eno is it enough It's enough for, for things to slow down, right. right? That's all it really takes is for the world to slow down. You don't have to believe in multiple currency crises, although we are starting to see some issues in Argentina and South Africa and it's starting to spread in a bit. But all you have to have is just a bit a contraction in the world, and then you get some earnings declines, and that's what people get worried about. So for me, I still go back to the dollar. The U.S. dollar is the new VIX. The higher that goes, the more risk there is out there because it costs more to service debt in dollars, and it, it, people will have to deleverage at that point. So to me, watch the Dixie. I, I sort of think, you know, a couple months ago, maybe six weeks ago, Italy was all the rage of, of contagion and fear, and that right. very, very quickly passed. And I actually believe that... That will be the model for Turkey as well. I don't know how it'll end up, but I don't think that's going to be the catalyst. To me, the market, we've been through earnings a lot and that some great earnings. There is this sort of collective, I don't know what, a cognitive dissonance about the trade policy, how that all ends up. To me, that is the most important thing. And I think investors believe, and I believe, that we are going to come up with some sort of solution to the trade wars. I don't think we'll enter a trade war. That, to me, is the biggest concern, though. So we look at the volatility index. It touched a 10-handle 
three days ago. Mm -hmm. Now it's at 14, almost 15. Yep. I don't know, Pete, it's starting to reflect a little more fear. I don't know if that, it, maybe it's turkey fear, but I think that's misguided. Yeah, I, I agree that trade is absolutely the most important theme right now in the market and which direction we're going to roll. As far as I'm concerned, the turkey thing, we're going to get by. I, I agree with Karen. I think we get through this. And I, and I think the lack of catalyst, if you will, lack of real either positive or negative catalyst in the near term is a positive for the market. I think that'll encourage the market just to kind of drift higher and I think the fear of missing out trade is right around the corner. So, in my opinion, we just came off a tremendous earnings season. Uh, I look at up 25%, you know, as far as earnings growth. I look at the setups for a lot of these trades are still very positive. So, I'm a, I'm a buyer on any pullback whatsoever on this tape on, on Turkey. The biggest risk right now, if, if I look at it and say outside of trade, would be the dollar staying well bid into a, a, a Fed hiking cycle. But why well, wouldn't the dollar and, stay well bid? Right, exactly. I mean, that's the point. I was going to say, like, even, okay, let's just say the it's great... It's trade war. The trade well, war will right. keep the dollar well bid, right? Or, or just a Turkey good economy will keep the dollar well bid. Let's say everything's great. Then the dollar goes higher. So if you're worried about the dollar, you shouldn't be buying anything here. sniffs anything or gives some sort of indication they become a little bit more dovish based on what's happening in a global way. but if they sniff if something, then wouldn't that still. be bad for earnings? No, not necessarily. That'll play out. That'll take a couple quarters to play out. You know, so normally I look at it and say, I, I, absolutely, I think there's a Fed put still in better than this market. And, and I think you'll probably put, hear that. I think that puts I probably a little bit of the ways down. Could be. I think it's yeah, further down. I think that's striking. Yeah, I was going to say, David, David, now, you, we usually agree on almost everything, it now, seems like. But in this particular case, I think the fact that we are through the major catalysts, because I expected the earnings season to be exactly what it was. Right. Great. I mean, it wasn't just good. It was great. They delivered absolutely. overall the big picture, and that's why we pushed up, and we were sniffing towards those highs of the year. But now, where are the catalysts? And most of the catalysts that are there right now, my concern is I've seen more negative potential catalysts to push us down than I do positive just because of the fact that the cycle of earnings is now past us. And it, you know what? It'll take a few weeks or whatever, but these next couple you, of weeks make me a little nervous. You said you were negative. What will make you negative? One more catalyst to the downside. Right. I mean, like what? At this point, you have outlined so many reasons why you would be cautious, but you right. said you're not negative. Right. You're not negative. Uh, I, I think I'm not negative just because the earnings were so powerful and so strong. And, and I look at that now. What, what would be something that would push it down? I think clearly the trade war is the next yeah. escalation. Yeah. That starts to progress. That actually stuffs the market down. And I think there are opportunities, to your point. So the put, if it's in the market, I think is well below where we are right now. I don't think it's an at-the-money put. I think there's plenty of room to the downside, downside. from that. Yeah, yeah. for me, I'll trade. I don't want to sell anything, though, but I have been buying puts. They've got ridiculously low. Here, it's a little harder to buy them. Yeah. Yeah. At what point do you start getting concerned that the dollar is going to be a headwind for these markets? Uh, I mean, I think another couple percent up here if we start on to break Dixie. higher. Yeah, on the Dixie. You know, and I just, I look at the market as, a, as risk reward. Where are we in the S&P 500? We're at all-time highs effectively or within a whisper of that. Why am I buying a new stock today? Why wouldn't I be taking profit when we've got all these geopolitical risks, risks out there? We don't know how long the trade war is going to last or not last. I don't have a lot of confidence so far based on past experience of this administration that they'll be able to actually get anything done. So I actually think the trade war might go on longer than expected. So here, it just doesn't seem like great risk reward to be long stocks. All right, let's go straight to our next guest. It's perfect setup, BK. We're going to pose a very question to him. Our next guest says today's pullback could be one of your best chances to buy for the rest of the year. Let's bring in Tony Dwyer, chief market strategist at Canaccord Genuity. Why? I don't think necessarily today is like the bottom tick. I don't want to be so arrogant to think that. Actually, I, as I said on the last time I was on the show, I, my near-term feel is pretty bad. Like midday in the beginning when you had the bounce, I thought, wow, we're going to spike. And then when midday 
dropped, I was like, oh my God, we're gonna crash. When you're that volatile, step away. <laughs> like, don't do the next tick. But I just think that, you know, for example, volatility picked up, which yep. is an important yep. point. Um, all those fear factors are in there. And the last time we were on, we identified a few things we look for, which is a VIX towards 20, percentage of stocks above the 10-day moving average for the S&P being below 20%, so very few stocks more than 80% below their 10-day moving average, and fewer newsletter writers that are bullish. So I just think we're in this kind of yeah. push-pull. There's not a catalyst to go up. We know the catalyst to go down, so I'm not sure that's going to work either. Just this kind of like lousy environment in the middle of August. But to BK's point, I mean, BK's, your question was, what is the risk-reward at this point? Right. Why is the reward, why do you see the reward being higher at this point in the cycle when we have the S&P 500 near record highs and we have all these, as we outlined here, Pete uh, outlined them very well, the negative potentials on the horizon here, more negatives perhaps than positives. We come Simply up with, because your list hasn't come true? We, we come up with great reasons to make stuff up on to ha on, as why to have an investment opinion so our re re you read our research. It ultimately, core the market correlates to the direction of earnings, full stop. Right. Next quarter, we've had two quarters in a row now of 25% earnings growth. The next two quarters are likely to be 25% earnings growth. You were 19 times to 20 times earnings in the two quarters before the tax cut. You're 19 to 20 times in the two quarters after the tax cut. So if you get another two 20% plus quarters, your catalyst is the stocks have become a lot cheaper without a major change in the interest rate environment or the inflation environment. So there are poster children of the trade war, Caterpillar, <laughs> Boeing, et cetera. Overweight, so and, and, and there are poster children of this crisis in Turkey being the banks. Right. Would you buy banks? Because even the U.S. banks with very right. limited exposure to Turkey Correct. are feeling some pain and pressure. Let's take the worst case scenario that everybody on the planet mentioned today, the Thai bot failure in 1997. I wish people would go back and actually look at what happened because it actually got depegged in July, got way worse. The market didn't peak until and really correct until October. It was a four-day 10% drop, and then it went on to new highs in December. So if that's my disasterville, I get it. It's not great, and I, like I said, I think we're going to have a little bit more correction. But again, you're nowhere near like we were back then, at least so far. Now, risk can happen fast. An interesting thing is what we look at is the credit default swap market for the biggest banks in Europe. There's an index that are the 30 top financial institutions investment grade mm -hmm. in Europe. If Europe is ground zero for if um, Turkey is going to have a contagion, we're not even back up to the peak where we were a couple of months ago. We're way below where we were in the bottom in 2016, and we're not even within earshot of where we were in 2011, 2012. So I think we have to kind of take the context. A little bit of euphoria was in the marketplace again, up near new highs. And you need an excuse for what we talked about a couple of weeks ago. I thought it was going to be the Chinese currency. It turned out to be the Turkish currency. So, Tony, let me ask you, two, next two quarters, let's call it 20%, 25%. Earnings growth, were you saying, or revenue growth? Earnings growth. Earnings growth. What gives you the confidence that that estimate will stand when we have trade war, we have currency crises, we have a lot of different things that appear to be negative catalysts? Why are you so confident that the past is going to look like, the future is going to look like the past? We've had, you know, anticipation of the tariffs and trade war since the beginning of this year, BK. And the first quarter was supposed to be 18% earnings growth, came in at 26. This quarter, the second quarter, was supposed to be 20.4. It's almost 25. So you have these upside surprises because the tax cuts and the better regulatory environment is spurring capital spending. This is the biggest deal. We've been waiting for the second half of the cycle 
which is you need capital spending to improve productivity when inflation is hitting you at the corporate level. If you can't hire anybody else and your costs are going up, what do you got to do? You got to invest in cap, capital spending to increase productivity. We're in that part. Another thing is on, on lending. There was a great article today in the journal about how shadow banking, private equity funds and hedge right. funds, are replacing bank lending. So now that the major regional institutions, a bunch of them, have lost their SIFI designation and can now use some of the capital that's been on reserve at the Fed, you think they might try and get some of that market share back? So lending standards have gotten easier, not tighter, right when companies need the capital to invest to improve their productivity, and we're focused on the negative. So I get it. I really believe that, like I've said a few times on the show, we're in a period where I have no idea. It could be down 2%, 5%, could be up 2%. I really have no near-term feel because you're in no man's land technically. Mm -hmm. Fundamentally, we are in a ter terrific spot with right. credit, with earnings, and with the direction of the tape. Okay, Tony. Thanks, Tony Thank Dwyer. Concord Genuity. Pete, did Tony convince you? Um, he convinced me some, something that I feel already right now, which is, you know, that we're in no man's land. Okay. And, and that's why I feel like there's more catalysts that can push us down a little bit further. And then I think there is opportunity out there. Whether or not I think, I, I, I saw his list. It was financials, it was technology, yeah. and it was uh, industrials. I agree with the industrials. I agree with the technology. I think the financials, that's really just, it literally is tied to the tenure. If the 10-year goes up, I think the financials, it goes up towards three, financials are going to absolutely start to move up to the upside and probably hit new highs. But if they don't, if we don't see that move, we're not going to see the financials and you're in go doubt. up. Right. All right. So, yeah. gonna ask him, so if they're down today like they are on Turkey or, you know, right. a contagion, that would be the opportunity to buy them or they're not down enough? I don't think they're down enough. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, I would love to see them get a, hit a little bit harder. And I right. say that as a guy who already owns Bank of America yeah. and a couple of the other names yeah. in the space. Yeah. So were there opportunities yeah. today? What'd you do today? Yeah, I mean, opportunity in Netflix. I think today was an opportunity with the resignation of their CFO. I think it, he's not as important, obviously, as Reed Hastings and their, and their chief, you know, design, you know, chief of design there. So I look at it and say Netflix was a buy. Financials, I think, are there. I mean, like, I'm at the point where I'm continuing to add to financials and, and biotech as well is an area that I continue to add in on, on any sort of weakness, yeah. any sliver of weakness. I think there was an opportunity to be cautious. I think there's an opportunity to take some profit. <laughs> there's an opportunity. An opportunity. Like well, Jello, but I mean, listen, we're, we're at all-time highs again, so why wouldn't you take a little bit off the table at this point? The one thing I would say about the financials, though, we're all worried about the banks and that contagion. I bet you we're probably not going to have a banking crisis. All the fire trucks are parked outside the bank, and we're all waiting for that next fire. Right. I bet you there's a very small chance that happens. Right. Watch the insurers, though. They trade terrible. That, to me, is where the risk could be. Who's reaching for yield? Your insurance companies. All right, coming up, the currency crisis in Turkey should be a catalyst for Bitcoin, but unlike the past, it's failing to rally. So what gives? Top crypto strategist Meltem Demurs will join us. Plus, Tesla CEO Elon Musk attempting to clarify his tweet about going private last week. But did he just do more damage? We will explain. And later, Pete here says one beaten down stock in the past month is about to break out. He'll tell us the name when he gives us his fast pitch. We are live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC.
Welcome back to Fast Money. Funding secured and now funding explained. Tesla CEO Elon Musk stepping off Twitter and onto the company's blog to explain in detail what he meant last week about going private. Our Phil Lebeau is live in Chicago, Chicago with more on that story. And some, Phil, will uh, dispute the whole notion of going into detail here because there were details, but it wasn't clear, clear that funding was actually secured at the end. Right. And the skeptics out there, Melissa, will say at the end of the day, wait a second. There's no offer sheet. There are no details. There was no formal plan that was introduced. So all of this has to do with a series of meetings between Elon Musk and a director with the, the Saudi Sovereign Fund, the most recent of those happening on July 31st. Now, over the last couple of years, Elon Musk explained today, Tesla has been approached multiple times by the Saudi Sovereign Fund, and the topic of Tesla eventually going private has been brought up. And with regards to the July 31st meeting, Elon Musk writes, I left the July 31st meeting with no question that a deal with the Saudi Sovereign Fund could be closed and that it was just a matter of getting the process moving. This is why I referred to funding secured in the August 7th announcement. That wasn't an announcement. It was a tweet on Twitter in which he said funding secured, $420 being the price tag. That $420, by the way, Melissa, if you were to factor that out, that would be a premium to Tesla's current share price, coming in, giving a valuation of the company at about $70 billion, of which Elon Musk says, wait a second, that's if you bought everybody out, but most of the people in his estimation will stick with uh, Tesla, and so it wouldn't cost $70 billion to take the company private. One other note from his blog post with regards to his approach to putting out that tweet and whether or not he was acting as CEO of Tesla, was he acting in some fiduciary responsibility for the company? He writes, to be clear, when I made the public announcement, just as with the blog post and all other discussions I have had on this topic, I am speaking for myself as a potential bidder for Tesla. He does not write that he is speaking as CEO of the company or on behalf of the board. So it's an interesting explanation that was sent out today. I know that there are already people who are weighing in on social media saying, look, this isn't a, a detailed offer. This is not funding secured as people would expect it to be. But it is an explanation, at least the beginning of an explanation from Elon Musk and Tesla. Seems like splitting hairs, Phil. For him to say that he was not speaking as the head of the company, I mean, he's always speaking as the head. The thing about his Twitter account in particular, though, is that he has always used it as a vehicle for speaking as the head of a company. So for him to all of a sudden say, I'm going to tweet this with my Twitter handle, which I've used to discuss production targets, et cetera, and all of a sudden not Correct. be the head of the company, that's a little fishy. That's what a lot of people are saying today. They're saying, well, you don't get to choose when you are acting on behalf as of uh, the company as CEO and when you're acting as Elon Musk investor in the company. Um, now, Elon Musk will come back and say, look, that's how I, I, I approach this. And when I said funding secured, read between the lines here, I got the impression that this was likely going to be a done deal if we wanted it to be a done deal. Didn't say that they had accepted it. Didn't say there was a handshake agreement. It was just this explanation behind his thought process after having that meeting with the managing director from the Saudi Sovereign Fund. All right, Phil, thanks. Phil LeBeau in Chicago for us. Um, Karen, what would you make of this blog post? It's <laughs> I don't, I don't even know where to begin. I mean, CYA-ish, <laughs> if you ask it's me. It's ridiculous on so many, so many fronts. First of all, okay, let's give him, I'm not acting as CEO. Then he is a 13D holder. Right. He needs to ah. amend his 13D. This is a material event in the 13D. I don't a couple of maybe it was this summer. Somebody will be able to tell me exactly. He said zero chance that we will not meet production targets. 
So maybe it's a matter of semantics. He thinks zero chance means something different than what other people maybe think right. zero and chance. Zero. Funding secured. <laughs> secured doesn't mean what other people think it means. I think it means imagined or contemplated or something like that. I mean, this, this is absurd. So, you know, when he says no question it could be closed, it's just a matter of getting the process moving. Right. That's ridiculous, meaning right. getting, like, you know, details. Interest rate, how much, what, I mean, what kind of security they would, all that, it, it's, it's ridiculous that this is supposed to be, this is supposed to be him showing more detail about the right. funding. It's giving the best spin possible on funding secured. Right. It's ridiculous that and, that is the best, the best spin, that spin possible and on funding is... secured. However, all that aside, there's another question. Can he get a deal done? Maybe. Maybe he can get a deal done. Yeah. I don't know. The, you know, saying he's spoken to two-thirds of investors, or believes, rather, believes Please. that two-thirds. I don't even know if two-thirds of the investors can possibly roll into a private yeah. vehicle. I don't know if That's the right. shareholder base will allow that to happen. Let's put that aside. Let's say he can get equity elsewhere. That's possible. But all of that together, I mean, th there's no way this is an adequate disclosure. And board, just now, right. just last week, you were getting counsel. This right. is ridiculous. It's I mean, you're a switch. <laughs> this disclosure is after his lawyers comb through it with a fine-tooth comb to make sure that yeah. they put out a press release or right. something by him that they believe to be the most adequate. And, and it comes yeah. off and it falls short like it did. In my opinion, it's too fishy. And it's, I agree with Mel. Like, when you are representing a company as a CEO of a company like this, you have an obligation, whether it's your personal Twitter handle or whether it's a company's Twitter handle, to make sure that you're, you're putting out tweets and people recognize that it's, it's in behalf, on behalf of the company. It's a a case also that funding is secured and, and to believe seemingly that two-thirds of the investor base will be able to or willing to, right. want to, whatever, a roll into a private deal, that's a big assumption. I mean, that, that, is, that, is, that is a cornerstone of how much funding that they would actually yeah. need. And yeah. so if right. you don't know that as fact, then you, don't, right. you don't know funding is secured, right? Uh, yes. The whole thing's insane. It's, it's <laughs> it's, but the other question is, can he get this done? Well, right. That's separate. That's a separate it's, issue. But I think, Oddly, yeah. it's right. separate. It has <laughs> nothing separate to issue. do yes. with the tweet. Yes. Really, but nothing. <laughs> what did the options market say about a deal getting done at you this know, point? You uh, know, Mike Cohen and I last week were talking about the fact yeah. that you go out in the distance and you actually see a lot of the volatilities kind of coming out of the options, which is which telling you a little a possibility. bit of that, that people believe there right. is a possibility. I actually believe it enough that I actually put on a call spread out there into you the did. future because I... As crazy as it is, I don't agree with the delivery and everything. I know announcement or tweet, whatever you want to call it. Phil LeBeau is talking about that. I still think there's something there. And I don't put it past Elon Musk that if he's been in talks for two years with the sovereign fund out of uh, Saudi Arabia, I mean, it's a possibility. And the fact that it's even a possibility, I don't mind having a call spread out there. Because Which was really cheap. Relatively inexpensive, but I'm buying some time because I'm going out in the distance. So whenever you buy time in something that's a $300 plus stock, it's going to cost you some money. I think that's the only way to play it, right? right. Because your only upside way. is capped at 420. So you've got to use some kind of leverage, oh, whether maybe. it be a call spread or something like that, right? And that's the only way to play it. Now, the downside is this actually is some kind of violation, and Elon Musk is no longer your CEO. That's a massive problem for Tesla. Coming up, the currency crisis in Turkey should be giving Bitcoin a boost. So where's the rally? We've got those details. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, First in Business Worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. Get in, loser. We're going shopping. And retail stocks are feeling the love. But the chartmaster says the raging rally may be coming to a screeching halt.
Plus, Pete Najarian has been hitting it out of the park with one fast pitch after another. And now he's stepping up to the plate with one beaten down name he says is going to heat up. There's much more Fast Money right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to Fast Money. Retail stocks have been on fire, but the group could be facing one of its biggest tests yet as many of the big names gear up to report earnings this week. Let's get to Dom Chu back at headquarters for all the details. Hey, Dom. Well, Melissa, the waning weeks of earnings season pretty much means retail, and we're relatively heavy on that industry this week. 13 S&P 500 companies are slated to report, including the likes of Home Depot and Tapestry, the company formerly known as Coach. That's on Tuesday. Macy's is on Wednesday, and then Walmart, Nordstrom, and JCPenney are all on Thursday, though I guess technically Walmart is a consumer staple stock, but you get the picture. The consumer discretionary sector in general has been a standout so far in 2018. It's the second best performer next only to who else? Technology. While some of the tip-top performers in the sector are names like Netflix and Chipotle and, of course, Amazon.com, a slate of more traditional retail names is also grabbing attention, like Best Buy, up around 13% on a year-to-date basis, not too bad, or Target, when you want to look at big box side of things, maybe around 26% in that span. On the luxury side of things, Ralph Lauren, up around 32%, or you've got department store operator Macy's, which has gained a whopping 60%. Now, there has been upside momentum for many index members. Of the 80 stocks in this consumer discretionary sector, around a quarter of them are within 5% of their 52-week highs. And Melissa, many parts of the sector at various market cap levels were hated. Remember, around the same time last year, after a pretty sharp rally, is there enough fuel left in that tank for potentially more upside? We'll get some ideas. Earnings roll out this week. Back over to you. All right, Dom. Thank you. Dom Chu back in the newsroom. Our next guest says the retail rally is looking a bit stretched. Chart Master Carter worth according to macros at the plasma to break it all down. Hey, Carter. Hi there. So, uh, well, it's been a great run. The issue is where retail is now in relation to where it's been. So, uh, here's a great ETF. I try to look at it every day. I, I would say it's a good thing for everyone to do, and here's why. It's equal weighted, and you see here it's 89 stocks. Now, consider this, uh, $2.2 trillion and almost 10% of the S&P. But the best part is, right, it's, it's, a, it's a smattering of names. I mean, Target, Amazon's in there, for instance. Tiffany, very specific business. Ralph Lauren, Best Buy. And the names go on and on and on. Macy's, Foot Locker. You can see them here. Here are their logos. 
Um, so it's an equal weight ETF for the most part, and it captures uh, such a broad swath from Kroger, Costco, and so forth. And here is the chart. Um, to my eye, what we've had is obviously an impressive rally, but that rally, if you were to look at it, leaves us back at a former top. And one of the things about this kind of thing is that you often, after reaching a former high, you contend with it. Ultimately, you can break out, but on the first approach of a past high, before exceeding the high, you contend with it, which is either back and fill or back away. So if we were to put in the trend line, which is what this effectively is, and you were to make the bet that that trend line were to go like that, what essentially I'm betting is is that this double top takes us back to trend. It's no big deal, but you don't set up for a breakout in principle when you first approach the former high. Um, let's move on. So two stocks, one I like, one I don't like. Uh, we'll see how they go. They both have numbers coming up. To my eye, this setup is the following. Well-defined tops at a common level, higher lows, and working into the prospective breakout juncture. JWM on the long side. By contradistinction, look at this. Not at 52-week highs, and if I were to put in the lines, all it is is a rally back to the top from which it has failed, 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 and I'm going to make the bet again that it's going to fail. So children's space, PLCE, on the short side. Uh, Carter comes over. Oh, he oh, comes right. over. Right. There's a lot in there. We got Gold, dig into Strong. Always before earnings dangerous, but you know that's how it works. It doesn't work. Thanks, Michelle, for bringing the chair in. Okay, Carter, so I'm curious, does retail correlate uh, to other sectors, maybe like home builders or other discretionary Well, so there's retail, and then talk about that. Like we were hearing in, in the, the preview before that it's the second best performing sector, right up 14.5% consumer discretion. But the equal weight sector is only up 4.5. That's a big spread, 4.5. That's Amazon driven or? Amazon, yeah. Netflix, and, and some of the other mm -hmm. huge components, which is weighted versus the XRT, which is equal weighted. That's kind of the, 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 the point of that particular ETF. It gives you a broad swath without the skewing associated with Amazon and some of the big moves. Retail in general has been great, but it's not any better than the market if you look under the hood. Right. Karen, do you have a question? Because you, you have been or played in a Children's Place. Yes, I have. Points in time. I have in, in, in the past, but I haven't now. Mm -hmm. um, do you, so you have department stores. Yeah, Macy's. Macy's, right. Do you look at them as sort of a, a monolith, or do you differentiate between... Well, I mean, certainly Macy's is right now better than JCPenney. Right. Uh, but let's say J, uh, Nordstrom's, Dillard's, Macy's. I mean, I, in principle, the idea is to try to get it right, fundamentally, or technically one stock at a time, and then make inferences about groups, about retail or apparel, or about the sector overall. But... Uh, just as a good funnel analyst does bottoms-up work, it's the same with the chartist. Start with one chart, then another chart, and then try to see what the story tells. Hey, Carter, you mentioned that you like Nordstrom. When I look at all these charts, they almost all look the same, right? Double well, tops are some kind yeah, of tops. Different than, 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 than Children's Place, no? Well, different than Children's yeah. Place. But, but I'm curious, why Nordstrom's? Let's take out, is it, is it Nordstrom's versus Children's Place? But, or why Nordstrom's in the retail? Why did you like right, that so one? So I just wanted to focus on stocks that have earnings this coming week. Okay. Uh, but second... Again, the principle is before you can exceed a high, you back and fill. It makes sense. When you get there, it's like doing your last chin-up. You have to do work there. Um, Nordstrom's has been consolidating well at the 52-week high versus the XRT, which has made a quick stretch to the high. 
Yeah, I mean, I like the brick. I mean, the brick and mortars have had such an incredible move. I mean, you look at Macy's due to report. I think, you know, gun to head, everybody thinks this quarter is going to be a very strong quarter. Um, you know, I think it probably will be. But like you said, is it enough to carry it through when you when you separate out those brick and mortar players from sort of the traditional brands? Right. Do the brands and look stronger? And I think that may be a little bit to Karen's point. I mean, some, but it's each it's case by case. But I would also say this. I mean, just the clients that cover this fundamentally that are either beta neutral, dollar neutral at the hedge fund level or just long only. Almost a consensus view coming back is that comps are going to be pretty hard in Q3. And the word impossible has been used for Q4. Carter, thanks. Thanks. Carter Worth of Cornerstone Macro. For more on retail's moment of truth, head over to CNBC.com. Check out which stocks could be the big winners this week. And coming up on Fast, Pete Najarian here over at the Plasma. He's warm enough to pitch one beaten down stock, he says, is poised for a turnaround. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Time for an instant replay. Two months ago, Pete said it was time to bet on tech giant Microsoft. Satya Nadella, the vision that he had as he took over as the CEO of this company was absolutely magnificent, and they have executed to perfection. They seem to be clicking in all different facets of what they're doing in their business right now. I love this company. I think it's $120 stock, not that far away. Well, the stock isn't quite at 120, but it was a good call. It did surge 8% since the pitch. So uh, Pete mentioned Satya Nadella as one of the reasons for buying Microsoft. Well, as you recall, Nadella just sold about 30% of his stake in Microsoft last week. At least a filing came out last week. So Which, what are your thoughts now? Yeah, uh, it doesn't worry me because... What? Uh, you are the guy who tracks insider yeah, buying and selling a Absolutely. Lot. But when I look at the amount of stock that this guy's got and the move that they've had since he took over, I think... I think it makes sense to have some diversification. So I'm not worried about it. Now, had he sold a percentage of maybe 50 or more, I'd get a little concerned. But I think he's just, he said he's taking it off for personal reasons. I tend to believe him. I don't right. know what he wants to spend it on. Maybe something like BK would be going after, but <laughs> <laughs> something big. I mean, some nice we, we certainly welcome in the crypto world a little bit of that money. <laughs> right. Give us another home run idea, Pete. All right. So today, what I want to pitch to you guys is a stock, and they were talking about it before we came over here. We talked about the fact that it hasn't traded very well recently, but EA, Electronic Arts, you start always, you look at this management team, and I'll tell you what, the top, of the, the top dog right now at this company has been there since 2004, came over and took over at 2010 as the CEO, came from China and running Europe. So... I love where he's coming from. And you look at 2014, the acceleration of what's happened with this company has been absolutely incredible to the upside. Now, established franchises, they've got that. They have also got a pipeline. They also have a deal right now with Disney, a 10-year deal that they signed. So when you look at all the different elements that go into EA going forward as a publisher, there's a lot of reasons to be excited. Obviously, everybody focuses on mobile, but it's going on to all the different platforms. So I think we're seeing strength in, in terms of the fundamental side of what this company gives. Now, you look at the PE right now, you'd look at this and you'd say, wow, it trades at a 40 plus. It actually trades closer to about a 26 if you look at the forward. They're going to earn approximately $5 a share next year. So you look at the earnings growth. Earnings growth, free cash flow growth, margin growth on, both, on, on multiple different ends of margin. I think this is a company that shows you a lot of growth. They're also buying back stock. And, oh, by the way, in the last 10 days, we have seen nothing but call buyers coming into here in different months. But they've been coming in buying the 135 to the 155s, most of that out in January. You look at the size of these trades. Somebody is positioning for this stock to go higher. Hey, uh, Pete, it's uh, yeah. Seberg. One question for you on this one. Uh, and one word, really, is Fortnite. Competition yeah. from Fortnite. Yeah. 
How much are you worried about that? I mean, it seems like competition has been the really overriding theme right now in this sector, given all the new releases yeah. across the platforms. How worried are you about uh, Fortnite sort of eroding on there? Yeah, well, what I, I mentioned the pipeline. I love the pipeline that these guys got right now. So presently, I'm, I'm not worried about that. But everybody's going to, you know, there are great players in this industry. And there's going to be competition out there. So there's no reason not to, to like this company because somebody else has a great product. So I like electronic arts. I say, I talked about the pipeline. I tell you what, I think what they've got there actually does move this stock. It might take a little bit of time. This isn't going to be moving as fast as Microsoft. All right, no more questions. Time to vote. Oh. Are you buying Pete's pitch on electronic arts? Karen, what do you say? Yeah. Oh, Get that ah. EA in the center. Very clever. Yeah, yeah, Thank clever. you. Very I like clever. it, Pete. I, I agree with Thank you. I'm a buyer as well. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm buying this pitch. I think this is an amazing sector. I do believe there's competition, but I think EA can survive uh, and continue to, to, to move higher. Beaks? Yeah, I'm a buyer, Whoa. too. I'm with Pete on this one. Wow. I actually think Disney should buy these guys rather than the other stuff they're trying to do. All right, well, it's a grand slam Agreed. here on the desk, but are you at home buying Pete's pitch on Electronic Arts? Vote in our Twitter poll at CNBC Fast Money. Results later on in the show. Plus, the crisis in Turkey should have sent Bitcoin soaring, but the cryptocurrency is still stuck near 6,000. Top crypto strategists will explain why that is. Much more fast coming up. Welcome back to Fast Money. With the Turkish lira plunging to an all-time low against the dollar, you'd expect Bitcoin to rally on all this currency volatility, right? So how come it's still sitting near 6,000? Bob Pisani is at the NYSC. He'll tell us whether Bitcoin really is a currency safe haven. Bob. Well, it depends, Melissa. One of the big ideas behind Bitcoin, remember, is that people who can't rely on their currencies will flock to it as a hedge. Now, we saw this with the Cyprus bank crisis in 2013. That's when Bitcoin trading and prices surged. That's a famous example of that. Now, we've got a real genuine currency crisis here with the Turkish lira, but there's been no Bitcoin rally. And by the way, Bitcoin's been dropping for a couple weeks, and it's failed to rally in the last few days, despite seeing a real route in many global currencies. And I'm not just talking about the Turkish lira, the Mexican peso, the Argentinian peso, the Brazilian real. The Russian ruble, they've all dropped against the dollar recently, but there's been no big rally in Bitcoin. Now, what's going on here? Now, one possibility is that the universe of people who would want access to Bitcoin in these countries is still fairly small and that those who wanted it already bought it. Now, let's face it, too. The first impulse in this crisis in Turkey for a woman there might be to buy the dollar or buy physical goods. It isn't necessarily just go out and buy Bitcoin. Another is a lack of access. A lot of people who might want Bitcoin don't have access to it. Another possible explanation is that the big declines in Bitcoin has showed everyone that Bitcoin is not necessarily a hedge against anything. It can go down just like everything else, whether the decline is due to lack of demand, too much or too little regulation, fraud, theft, whatever. Look at volumes of Bitcoin trading in Turkey. You know, they have increased. We've definitely seen increases. But it's been noted that if someone in Turkey had bought Bitcoin at the beginning of the year instead of holding their money in lira, they'd have lost even more. Look at this. The lira is down 45% against the dollar. That's the top line. But Bitcoin's down 57% this year. Finally, one positive note about this. I would note that while Bitcoin's not rallying, it's not dropping as much as it is against its competitors. So today, Bitcoin was down roughly 2%. Ripple is down 12%. Ethereum's down 13%. So in a sense, Melissa, it is outperforming against its peers. At least you got one positive note here. Back to you. <laughs> yeah, you found it, Bob. Thanks, <laughs> Bob Bisani. Uh, All right, Beeks, I feel like the stools to the bull case, I mean, the, the, um, yeah. the, the legs to the stool, the bull <laughs> yeah. case, slowly getting knocked out. 
Well, in terms of the, this quote-unquote store value, something store value. down 57%. I mean, if somebody that's not tells a great me I was better value. off buying the lira than Bitcoin. Well, listen, I was surprised that they didn't move on the lira. Talking to some contacts there, though, there is a de facto currency controls going on. So actually, you wouldn't really be able to do anything with it. All you can get is lira in Turkey right now. But agreed. Down 57% is not a store of value. I still think you have to look at this as an emerging technology and understand that this thing is extremely volatile and we're very early in it. All right. For more on this, let's bring in our next guest. Melton Demirs is CoinShares chief strategy officer, actually spent some of her childhood growing up in Turkey. So uh, may give us some insight on this. Melton, great to have you with us. Thanks so much for having me today. Why do you think that Bitcoin has not been viewed as any sort of a store of value in this period of time? So I think the hard part about Bitcoin, as BK just alluded to, is the narrative around Bitcoin is still really hard to grasp. And I think the crypto community is really struggling with narrative right now. If we look at what institutional investors are looking for, even retail investors, what is the narrative? Really, the only metric we have for most cryptocurrencies is the price. And price is such an imperfect metric. What does actual utilization look like? That's really the struggle for crypto right now. So if you tell me... If we, if we changed Bitcoin out and we said it was a stock, and you said the narrative is unclear right now, I would say, why, why the heck would I want to be in that stock? Why would I want to buy it? <laughs> sure. So I pose a question to you. Why would I want to buy Bitcoin or any cryptocurrency if the narrative is so hard to pin down? Sure. But let's go back to, again, I think the analogy everyone uses, because it's an analogy that makes sense, is 1999 and the internet stocks, right? So if we look at Amazon, Amazon at its peak, it took nine years to recover from peak trough back to peak, right? So you had to be in Amazon for nine years to recover your value. If we look at Intel, right, 15 years, Microsoft, 17 years, new technologies that shift the paradigm take a long time to really understand. And I think what we saw in crypto is we saw this massive run up where everyone got FOMO or fear of missing out, as we like to say. And what it caused was the speculative bubble. And we've talked about bubbles and capital formation a lot. But all of that capital is now getting deployed into building real businesses that serve a real purpose. And so I think, again, it's a story that's going to take some time. We're experimenting with that narrative, but we're starting to see real traction. A lot of it's really dependent on finding those data points, those metrics that are going to drive that growth story. But again, I don't think this is new. We've seen this time and time again. Anytime there's new technology that we're really trying to understand and bring into the market, it's just a question of finding the right data points, getting that message out there, and really telling that growth story to investors who are looking for value and growth. So what are some of those metrics? Is it how much is traded? If you don't like price, if you don't want to focus on that, what are some of the other metrics to look at? Absolutely. So I think two startup metrics that are really common, and again, I compare this to early stage investing, which is my background. So two analogies might be the total addressable market and the penetration rate of that market. So again, if Bitcoin's a store of value, the total addressable market theoretically is huge, right? You have M1, M2, gold potentially as an analog. So how much of that market have we captured? Um, if we're looking at Ethereum, maybe the total addressable market is the market for compute capacity, right? Cloud compute capacity. There are a lot of different analogs. So TAM or total addressable market is one. The second we could look at is users, right? So what are the number of people who are actually using these assets on a day-to-day -day basis or month-to-month -month basis from speculation to specific? specific utility. And that, I think, again, a lot of this technology is really immature. It's hard to use. The apps are really clunky. And so we're not seeing those numbers today. 
So, Melton, what about Ethereum? Horrible day today. Maybe some ICO people puking out on this. But if there's going to be use cases, right, something like a smart contract platform like Ethereum seems to me that that should have more value maybe than something like a currency. Where do you stand on Ethereum and what happened today? Sure. So, look, Ethereum, I think, is one of these assets that's really interesting to look at. So it's down today, 78% from its all-time high. And what was interesting is earlier today I was looking at it. This day last year, if you would have bought Ethereum, today, you're at break even, right? You've made no money, but you've lost no money. So that's an interesting milestone for Ethereum. So I think what's going on here is Ethereum started with this narrative of being a decentralized computer. It shifted over to smart contracts when enterprises started getting more interested in this technology. And then it became a substrate for people to raise ICOs or to raise money with. What we're seeing now is a lot of these ICOs that have raised capital have done so using Ethereum or Bitcoin. So they hold a lot of Ether in their treasuries. When the price is at 1200 everyone is feeling really good. They had a long capital runway. Now the price is at 300 People aren't feeling so great. What I've been focused on is treasury management for crypto firms, really helping them maintain, preserve, and also extend their capital runway. So again, if the narrative is it's going to take 5, 9, 15, 17 years, mm -hmm. like some of the large internet stocks, for these things to really start to grow and to start to capture some of that value out there, let's make sure these projects have capital. I think this is really what our ecosystem is struggling with. How do we allocate out of ETH and into other assets that preserve value long term? And what should those be? Melton, thanks for joining us. Thank you for Melton having me. Of CoinShares, just quickly here, you know, we were talking. Melton made the point of internet stocks. This is a show yeah. called Fast Money. We like to talk about faster mm -hmm. trades, and there's an opportunity cost of locking up capital in any sort of asset for that amount of time. Right. So, if we are to believe that that it's a five, nine, ten, twelve-year time horizon. You put a dollar in right now. I, I do, and I think the, the reason the reason why is because you've got the the utilization, you've got the investment side of it with the hedge funds and the 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 ability for Wall Street money to really come into this trade. And I think we're on the cusp of that. So I look at the meetings that we have at, at Cowan. I mean, we're meeting with a ton of hedge funds right now that are really interested in, in diving into this space and investing in this space, but they just don't have the custody solutions that that warrant it for them. So once that money comes in, I think that that's where you get the lift off. All right, coming up, check out shares of Twitter, bucking the trend after a tweet from one infamous short seller helped boost shares. We've got all the details, and let's take a look at the Kramer cam. The madman's talking to the CEO Brinks, the security-related services stock he says is turning into an under-the-radar way to play the growing marijuana industry. That's at the top of the hour, but stick around. We've got much more fast right after this. Welcome back to Fast Twitter flying high today after famed short seller Andrew Left said he is getting long the stock again. Citron Research in a tweet saying Twitter has had a level of relevancy as never before with privacy concerns in its rear view and execution on all fronts. Citron expects new highs. Target price $52. And options traders are betting the rally in Twitter is just getting started. Let's get to Mike Cohen in San Francisco with more. Hey, Mike. Hi uh, there. So already one of the busier stock options that we might see. Twitter was the fourth busiest single stock option today and traded about double its average daily call volume. The busiest options were the August 33 and 34 strike calls. The latter, over 11,000 of those traded for about 36 cents. So those are bullish bets that is going to be above 34 by that 36 cents that they're spending, or about 5% higher than where it closed today by the end of the week. And we would also mention that we saw some longer dated call buying also over four bucks for those 33 uh, strikes going further out about to January. All right. Thanks for that, Mike. Mike Coe in San Francisco. For more options action, check out the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, final trades and the Twitter poll results. You know what?
Pete loves listening to when he heads into his basement for hours to play video games. Darn right. You yeah. guessed it. Tony Braxton, Unbreak My Heart. Sorry, Tony. Pete. It was a close Tony. one, but she's a sweet she's girl. She's a country. You lost. Yeah, I was a on big Earth. fan. Yeah. Final yeah, trade time. Yeah. Braxton. Pete. Final trade, Under Armour. Giddy up. Saw some buying today and insider buying a couple months ago. Giddy up. Chairwoman. Right. Yeah, TBT. I think the flight to quality will end soon. Final trade. Love round. Buy Macy's ahead of earnings. Nice. Brian Kelly. Not always comfortable being on the other side of the Karen, but buy TLT. Let's give that one a shot. <laughs> that does it for us. I'm Melissa Lee. Thanks so much for watching. Mad Money with Jim Kramer starts right now. And This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.